We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on local now, channel 525. It's our final look at the book of Colossians today as we take a look at people who are completing Christ and how they live. Join us, Abounding Grace, with Pastor Gary Wagner. coming up next. From Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose, this is Abounding Grace. Pastor Gary Wagner has a final look at the book of Colossians before we close out this amazing epistle and move on to Galatians. Colossians 4 verses 2 through 18 give us a snapshot, if you will, of people who are complete in Christ, how they live, and what they look like. Join us. See if you match up. Here's Pastor Gary Wagner with today's broadcast of Abounding Grace. Do you notice something he doesn't ask for in Colossians and Ephesians? He doesn't say, I want you to pray for me that I will never be beat up or be persecuted, ridiculed or martyred for the sake of the gospel. His concern is not his own life. Calvin says, consider Paul's amazing ardor of zeal. He's not solicitous as to his own safety. He does not ask that prayers be poured out by the church on his behalf, that he may be delivered from danger and death. He is content with this one thing, that he may, unconquered and undaunted, persevere in a confession of the gospel. Nay more, that he fearlessly make his own life a secondary matter, as compared with the glory of Christ and the spread of the gospel. So here Paul is telling these Colossians Christians in this frontline work that I do, in the trenches on the, on the very front line, I can't make it. I'm effective only as you offer prayers to the living God, not for my safety, but that God will use me and supernaturally empower me in the preaching of the gospel because I cannot do it on my own, end quote. Now, notice what he calls the content of his preaching. He calls it the mystery of Christ, the mystery of the gospel. Pray that I be supernaturally anointed and that the Holy Spirit shall remove all obstacles and that I will be able to preach the mystery of the gospel with plainness and boldness. As I have said many times in the past, the word mystery means truth, otherwise unknowable to the human mind except by divine revelation. And that is what the gospel in the Bible is. It is a mystery that you could never know were it not revealed to you by the Holy Spirit through Scripture. How in the world would any human being know about Christ and about what sin really is and what sin really deserves, 
and what Jesus Christ came to do and how it is that a person can be reconciled with or that even needs to be reconciled with God were it not for the mystery of the gospel. And Paul doesn't preach the gospel. If Paul doesn't preach the gospel, they don't hear. And if they don't hear, they can't be saved. So you see what a tremendous responsibility is for to be earnestly devoted to prayer, to keep alert in prayer, to pray with thanksgiving, and to especially focus your prayers on the advance of the preaching of the gospel here and all over the world. And then Paul presents a second instruction to those who want to be used of God. He says, you must not only pray, but you must also witness by your life and by your behavior. Look at verse 5. Conduct yourselves or walk with wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. So here our lives before unbelievers must be governed by divine wisdom. Wisdom plays a key role throughout the book of Colossians. Remember, Christ is the source of all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. We are in Christ, therefore we are to make sure his wisdom dwells in us richly. Christ's wisdom is accessible to us so that we are not limited to human resources. We've studied all about that. Now, what is wisdom and knowledge? Let me define them again, because they are interrelated but they are also distinguished from one another. Knowledge is insight into the true nature of life that you get from studying the Word of God. Knowledge is insight into the future, into the true nature of life that you get from studying the Word of God. And wisdom is the practical ability and skill to apply that knowledge to your life. So, What we are to do is to pray that our lives before the unbeliever would not only be knowledgeable, but would be skilled and would be wise. And that the unbeliever would see how all of these various things we profess to believe are to be applied to our lives. So we need to tell them, we believe this, we believe that, so they can also see in us that it makes a difference. And say to you and me, there's something that is different about you. I think what you believe might be a bit wacky. But I can see that it's making a vast difference in your life. That is what it is to walk with wisdom toward outsiders. Notice now what believers are called. Outsiders. And you know, whenever you're you're fellowshipping with unbelievers... However warm and personal and intimate, or if it's just a casual encounter, they must always be made to feel like outsiders. Because until they realize they are outsiders, they are not going to realize their need and responsibility to come inside. Until they realize that they are outside of Christ, And under condemnation, they are never going to find their need to come into him through faith. So one of the most loving things you can do, not by being aloof, not by being unloving, 
not by being unfriendly, but by the nature of the relationship or the worship service to do things and say things and act in such a way as to have a tone in your life and worship that an unbeliever may be drawn by your friendliness, but he still feels sort of like he's on the outside. Like, I don't understand everything that they're doing. You know, we fence the table of communion from unbelievers. And we try to say as clearly as we can to unbelievers, do not take communion. Because we want them to know that they are on the outside so that they want to come in. That's the problem with seeker-friendly churches. Seeker-friendly churches want everything about their worship service to be comfortable for the unbeliever. That is the most damnable thing. You can do for them. It's to take a person lost in his sin, comfortable in their lostness and spiritual death, and make them comfortable in church. The Lord says these people are outsiders. So make them feel outside, but at the same time, walk wisely in all of your relationships with these outsiders. Be careful. Be still, be practical, following the teachings of the word of God. In other words, don't ever bend or break the word of God to make an unbeliever feel comfortable. Now, why is it that we must live before unbelievers with wisdom and with skill? Well, lest any stumbling block be put in the way of the blind, says Leviticus. It is a wicked thing to put a big stumbling block in the path of a blind man, which he doesn't know is there, and he trips over it, and then people laugh at his fall. We've got to walk before unbelievers with wisdom, lest we inadvertently put stumbling blocks in the way of those who are spiritually blind, lest we wound them or turn them off. And in so turning them off because of a lack of wisdom or on arrogance on our part or a lack of love on our part, we unintentionally discredit the gospel and turn them away from that which we want them to believe. We are to walk before the unbeliever who is an outsider, lest any occasion may be given for detracting from the honor of the gospel and the name of Christ is exposed to sarcasm and persecution be stirred up. Be wise when it comes to dealing with outsiders. Because you don't want to expose Christ to ridicules. Because of something stupid you and I do. Or something unwise we say. Or something unloving. And you don't want to go out there and raise a red flag before people. And stir up hostility and stir up persecution. Therefore making it more and more impossible to witness to these people. And walk with wisdom before outsiders, lest we in our relationship with them, as we mingle, we can't help but intermingle with unbelievers, that we become defiled by their pollution and little by little become like them. You've got to be wise. Evil rubs off very easily. Good, not so much. You can associate with a lot of good people as an evil person and remain evil. 
But you walk around as a good person with an evil person, and it just tends to rub off on the good person. You see, Scripture says, in fact, in 1 Corinthians, that bad company corrupts good morals. So it takes great wisdom to live as a faithful witness to the unbelievers in our day. And this walking wisely also involves redeeming the time for the days are evil. If you're going to walk wisely, you're going to have to be faithful to redeem your time. You must make the most of your time. And in context, you are going to take advantage of every opportunity to witness to these outsiders. God brings outsiders into your life so that you, some way, by your life and your testimony, you point them to the inside and show them how to have life in the Lord Jesus Christ. So you redeem the time as you live your life before these outsiders, looking for and creating opportunities to witness by the way you live before unbelievers. And there are two important reasons, obvious reasons, why we should redeem the time. Make the most of it. Take every advantage to look for and create opportunities to witness. And these two reasons are all too painfully obvious, and one is time is short. You don't have much time in this life, beloved. You're going to die. You all realize that, right? How many people have you influenced in your life thus far far for Christ? Sometime you're going to be too old and too decrepit and go out to go out and witness. Life is too brief. Make the most of it and witness to people before time slips through your fingers. Then secondly, redeem the time for the times are evil. That is, these are dangerous times that we live in. The unbeliever has no promise of tomorrow. Who knows what might happen to him tomorrow or you? He dies or He hardens his heart beyond salvation. Because of the dangers of the times in which we live, don't blow your time. Don't waste it. Take advantage of it and use every opportunity. I say this to you, young people. Are you wasting your time? Earlier in my life, I did waste a lot of time watching television. By the way, how many of you sleep in late? If you do, you're wasting your life. Do you even pick up your Bible and really study? How often do you hang out with friends and you never mention the things of God, especially with unbelieving friends? Well, you say, well, you know, I don't know where I'm going. I don't know what my calling is. And I've got all these unanswered questions. Well, join the club. I'm 67 years old, and I've got a lot of questions still in my life. The point is, whether you know where you're going or what your calling is or have all your questions answered, don't waste your life. The time is short, and the days are evil. 
And if you are a Christian who wants to serve the Lord, you have a responsibility to take every opportunity to get up in the morning and find people to witness to and study ways that your life can count and contribute to the advance of the kingdom of God. Don't throw away your life on games or on the internet or watching TV. Oh, beloved, don't waste your life. Let every second count for something. My dear young friend, you're going to be dead sooner than you want to be. Redeem the time, for the days are evil. Do you adults really think how you are spending your time? What are you doing to advance the kingdom of God. So you not only witness with your life, but you also witness by the spoken word. Look at verse 6. Let your speech always be with grace, season as it were with salt, so that you may know how to respond to each person. In other words, consistency of life must be followed by the witness of the spoken word, and the witness of the spoken word must be followed by consistency of life. It is not either or. It is not one or the other. That you bear witness by the way you live, so that you provide to the world, that the, prove to the world that there is a difference in my life because of what I believe. But then you also speak what and why. That difference is. And you bear toast testimony to the Lord Jesus Christ. And it says, let your speech always be with grace. Now, the application of that, that most people give, is correct, but it is too superficial. They say, let your speech be with grace, meaning let it be gracious with courtesy. That is true. I don't want to downplay that. There are plenty of verses in the Bible where you can support that. But the word grace in Paul's writing is more than graciousness and courtesy. Grace is the heart of the gospel. Grace is the power of Christian living. Grace is the environment in which the believer lives. Paul brings up grace several times in the book of Colossians. When he says, let your speech be with grace, he doesn't mean just be courteous. He means much more, beloved. So let's look at some of the verses that bear this out. Chapter 1, verse 2. He begins his letter with his, with his blessing. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. Verse 6, chapter 1. He rejoices at the word of, um, he rejoices the word of truth, the gospel, has come to you just as in the world. But also it is constantly bearing fruit and increasing as it has been doing in you also since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God in truth. Chapter 3, verse 16. He encourages believers to let the word of Christ dwell richly within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your heart to God. <clears throat> chapter 4, verse 6. He exhorts us to let your speech always be with grace. And he concludes the epistle in chapter 4, verse 18, with a simple benediction. Grace be with you. You see, Paul is someone who has experienced the power of grace 
in his own life. He understands that he is a debtor to that grace. And as a result, that grace is a part of all of his conversations. What is God's grace? God's grace in the Bible is several closely related things. God's grace is his unmerited favor. It is something we don't deserve. In spite of what we are, God looks upon us with mercy and with grace. His grace is his favor. That is the source of all the blessings and and, and gifts that we have in this life. All of the good that you and I experience. All of the talents and all the spiritual gifts we have to minister to each other. All these things have as their source the favor of the grace of God. Also grace's power. Paul says, I am what I am because of the grace, the power of God, and not because of anything that is in me. Grace is the very essence of the gospel. The gospel is the work of grace. God's unmerited favor and saving power revealed to us in the Lord Jesus Christ, giving us the gracious gift of salvation. So when it says, let your words and your speech be with grace, bring it up in your life, my friends. It should be a natural thing to speak of Christ, not as an awkward thing, so that you carry on conversations with people and you consciously try to figure out how you can honestly move that conversation around to talk about Christ's grace. Look for opportunities to season your speech with grace. Then our text says, also let your speech be seasoned with salt so that you will know how you should respond to each other. Now, what do you use salt for besides keeping things from decaying? Food is seasoned with salt to make it flavorful and appetizing. So you as a Christian witness and I must live so constantly, knowingly, and gratefully in the knowledge and atmosphere of God's grace in Christ that our words become tasty flavorful to those to whom we witness so that they don't hear hypocrites talking about something that is only external to them, but they hear people talking earnestly about something that is in their very life. So in your conversations with the unbeliever, make sure they are interesting, lively, attractive, not by compromising the truth, but by talking sincerely about things that are important to you and him or her. Make sure your conversation with them are intelligent and informative and tasty so that on some level, either intellectual or emotional and hopefully spiritual, they will want to hear more of what you have to say. So let your speech be seasoned with salt so that they may know how to respond to other people and be an effective witness to them. So those are the two final instructions Paul gives to those to be used by God. Pray and be an effective witness through your behavior and by your spoken word. As Christians, these two things should dominate our lives. Wanting to speak with our Lord and Savior, the creator of the universe, knowing that he hears us and cares for us and meets all of our needs and calls us to speak with him. He wants to hear your voice, beloved, crying out to him in thanksgiving and supplication. 
And then, how could we not want to speak to others of the grace of God? How could we not want to tell others of his loving care for us? How could we not want to tell others of the living God who so loved the world that he sacrificed his beloved son? That wretches like us might be cleansed of our sins by his blood. And also be able to spend eternity in his majestic presence. How is it that we could neglect these two great privileges? He has called us to build his kingdom here on earth. And these are the two most valuable tools that he has given to you and to I. Oh, please take them out of your toolboxes, brothers and sisters, and use them as Paul has instructed for the sake of our great Redeemer and King, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, this has been Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. As we have closed out our time together today, I would remind you that our desire is to know how this program encourages you in Christ. Now, there are a couple of three ways that you can contact us to provide us with this information. And again, it would really encourage us a great deal if you'd take a moment and let us know how the program is encouraging you in your walk and relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's how to contact us. Phone number is 408 408- 8665607 that's 4088665607 our website where you can drop us an email and even learn a bit more about us is reformedheritage.org and then of course you can write to us at PMB that stands for post mailbox number 402 1484 Pollard Road Los Gatos California the zip code is 95032 Now, there is another way you can contact us, and this would be the best of all, especially if you're not involved in a church at this time. Plan on visiting. Let us uh, fellowship face-to-face, as it were. We meet at Lone Hill Church, 2 in the afternoon on Sundays at 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. Directions can be found at our website, reformedheritage.org, or by calling 408-866-5607. By the way, copies of the broadcast are just $5. Mention today's date when you contact us, and we'll get a CD out to you right away. Thank you for joining us today. Until next time, God bless. Mm-hmm.